Welcome to CUCC's Sermons for Everyone. No matter who you are or where you find yourself on life's journey, we're glad you've tuned in, and we hope you find meaning in this week's sermon. So we're in the heart of the Canadian Rockies. Julie and I have already gotten a couple hikes under our belts with the kids, and we have, we've kind of dialed in our family's ideal distance. It's three miles. Three miles is our sweet spot for energy, attention span, all of that stuff. Any longer, and we might be stretching the kids and flirting with that, like, no longer fun zone. All right. We're getting geared up for another day in the mountains. And on this particular day, we decide we're gonna stretch that number just a little bit because there is a backcountry tea house in the mountains behind Lake Louise. Now it's a four and a half mile loop and it's about 1400 feet of elevation gain, but we figure we can do it. We'll just hang out at the tea house as long as we need to for the kids to rest relax and be ready to walk back down and be a stretch. So we'll start early, we'll just take our time, and we'll make a whole day out of it. So we wake the kids up at 5.30 in the morning, which is always a joy. <laughs> we park near Lake Louise. Before the sun is in sight, we are off. It all sounds cool, but 10 minutes into the trail, I'm not sure we're gonna make it. Right there, there, sometimes you have it, and sometimes you don't. And by this point, I had already used up the surprise lollipops that were supposed to motivate them on the way back. But then something clicked. We found our groove. All right, the switchbacks, there's waterfalls, some like old timber, stairs, even a bit of scrambling. It all felt easy. The kids had a bounce in their step. You could tell they were finding pride in their efforts. And then we get there. Two and a half hours later, we get to this tea house, and I gotta tell you, it was as stunning as you could imagine. Has anyone here been to the St. Agnes Tea House? Small chance. All right. No. So what you have you have hanging above the tree line an emerald lake, surrounded by mountains on all sides, a glacier in the back, and this whole thing converges into one point. It feels like it's falling off the face of the earth. It's this narrow, but yet still really powerful waterfall. And right on the cliff beside it, in an old log cabin that gets daily deliveries by horseback, there's a tea house that serves warm beverages and snacks to travelers who made the climb. It was everything we could have hoped for. The weather was perfect. The kids were perfect. The mountains, all of it. After sitting down, having a little snack and taking it in, I mentioned to Julia that there, there is another way we could take to get back but it would blow our three-mile limit out of the water. You see, if we were up for it, we could actually walk to the other side of the lake. You do about 800 feet of exposed switchbacks, follow a mountain ridge to the Big Beehive, which is one of the prominent peaks in the area, and then drop into a valley 
that would lead to the glacier runoff that feeds Lake Louise. And I could see her eyes light up. She knew exactly where I would cast my vote. But what about the kids? All right, it was one of those moments where you have to decide whether, whether you should quit while you're ahead or swing for the fences. And so we pulled Caroline into the huddle, right? And we, we told her that we could enjoy some more snacks at the lake and then go back the way we came, or we could keep going. But if we kept going, we would be hiking three times as far as we had up to that point. And much to my surprise, Caroline wanted to do it. She was adamant that she didn't want to do the same old trail that we had just done. <laughs> she wanted adventure. And Luke and Anna seemed ready for anything, so we went for it. And I'll tell you, there were a couple dicey moments. There were a couple of maybe we should have taken the easy way back moments. But then after completing these switchbacks, walking along the mountain ridge, we dropped into this sub-alpine valley that was maybe one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. There were wildflowers everywhere. So we started playing this game with the kids where the kids had to see if they could find a flower for every color of the rainbow. And there were so many flowers, the game only lasted three minutes. And so then we had to start finding different shades of all the colors of the rainbow. It was, it was breathtaking. It was spirit aligning, the, the flowers, the glacier, the, the whole thing. It was one of those moments where we all felt like somehow God was near. And it wasn't just me looking for spirit on my sabbatical journey so I'd have something to say it was tangible, alive. It was nourishing in a way. There was, uh, there was an energy on that hillside that was something more than physical. Right? It, was, it was divine. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Give me a nod or a, a smile if you've ever had a spiritual experience in the mountains, in the forest, in nature. One of those breathtaking moments that left you feeling connected to the sacredness of, of the world all around you. It's a lot of us. And I'll tell you, I frequently bump into it in the mountains, which shouldn't really surprise me because God has been meeting people in the mountains since the beginning of the beginning. Mountains play an important role throughout the entire Bible and in many other spiritual traditions as well. With unparalleled consistency, mountains are where big things happen. Particularly, and here's a fancy church word for you, particularly theophanies, which literally mean bringing God to light. Right? There are moments of manifestation when God meets with people, when God's presence is just a bit more strongly made known. In the book of Genesis, after 40 days in an ark, Noah and his family finally come to rest on the top of Mount Ararat. They're greeted by the voice of God and a beautiful rainbow, and it's on that mountain that God establishes a covenant, a promise with their family and with all people to come. 
Later, Abraham and his firstborn son, Isaac, they climbed to the top of Mount Moriah. We watched this father and son climb together because it's there that Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his son, but God meets them at the peak and provides a ram for them. And once again, renews this covenant, right? Reiterates this divine promise to be with them. Then we have Moses. Moses is constantly found in the mountains. Right, first, Moses experiences God in a burning bush at the top of Mount Sinai, also known as Mount Horeb. And then many years later, he returns to the, the very same mountain with the entire Israelite community to receive the Ten Commandments. It's cool. There are over eight accounts of Moses climbing Mount Sinai to meet with God. And then years later at the the ripe old age of 120, Moses climbs one more mountain. After leading the people right to the edge of the promised land, Moses climbs Mount Nebo. And there in the presence of God, he looks out at a land flowing with milk and honey, and he breathes his last breath. Next is Joshua. And you haven't noticed, this is a little recap so that we're ready for 1 Samuel next week. When the people finally entered the promised land, Joshua brought the entire Israelite community to the place known as the land of two mountains. He built an altar on the top of Mount Ebal and in the presence of God while standing in the shadows of Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, he read aloud every word that Moses recorded. And it is there that the Israelite community recommitted themselves to God. Next, we have the judges. We read of Jotham, the son of Gideon, who climbs Mount Gerizim to deliver his fable. Or Deborah, who leads the, the Israelites to victory at Mount Tabor. And little did she know that Jesus would later end up climbing that very same mountain with Peter, James, and John for the transfiguration. After them, King David, who we'll become really familiar with over the next eight to ten weeks, David fled to the Mount of Olives when his two sons tried to overthrow him. And as many of you know, Jesus sought refuge in the Mount of Olives after being rejected in the temple on Palm Sunday. And it's also on the top of that mountain in front of all his disciples that Jesus ascended behind the clouds once again into the heavens over and over. Mountain after mountain, God met with people, inspired people, offered rest and renewal and protection to people. The mountains, they, they do something to us and, and for us and within us, and they always have. Mount Olympus, the highest peak in Greek, was said to be the, the home of the ancient gods. In Buddhism, there are four sacred mountains that mark the pilgrimage circuit and still remain some of their most holy sites. In Islam, it's said that, that Muhammad received the initial uh, revelation of the Quran while meditating on the, on the top of Mount Hira. Mount Kalish in Western Tibet is likely one of the most sacred mountains in the world. In Hinduism, this stunning peak is said to be the home of Lord Shiva. And to this day, all hiking 
and mountain climbing are strictly forbidden. And we could keep going. If there's a people with a spiritual story or a fly that won't leave me alone, (laughs) there is a sacred mountain of worth. But why? (laughs) Why? (laughs) Or how? Preaching on nature while swatting flies. Right? How is it that people from all over the world from the beginning of time until now have found something divine in the mountains? Many have theorized this mountain effect. People will point to a mountain's scale and grandeur as the trigger for our sense of, of awe and wonder and the feeling <laughs> of being connected or close to something larger than yourself. Is this just crazy? Is it, look, can you see it? I think there's two of them. (laughs) Others point to the release of endorphins, right? The feel-good hormones that that are a result of of the strain and effort that, that is needed to be put in to climb a mountain. Still others simply give the unknown a scientific name, like, and let's see if anyone's heard of this one before, the, the biophilia hypothesis. It simply states that, that humans have an innate tendency to seek connection with nature and living things outside of themselves. There are sensory explanations, evolutionary explanations, psychological, physiological explanations, because The thing we all know and can all agree upon is that something happens. Something feels different. Something that that seemed a little distorted and blurry down here seems to get a little bit clearer and stronger up there in the mountains. And I'll tell you, I've come to believe that there is just more more to this life than meets the eye. That there is a spiritual, a profoundly spiritual dimension to being human and that sometimes we just need to be so utterly surrounded by it to, to feel it, to notice it, to, to give thanks for it. And I wonder, how about you? Have you ever felt like there's just more to this life than meets the eye? Have you ever gotten a sense that there's a rhythm to it all? That there's like a bass note to the universe that that seems to get louder as we get quieter and quieter? Or wonder, have you ever found yourself simply wanting there to be more? Right? You're not sure what to think of it. Not really into that mystical and magical stuff, but, but yet something in you hopes that there's more to this life than meets the eye. Yeah, to all of that, right? And welcome to the club. Welcome to the club of searching for God. You're not the first, definitely won't be the last to, to, to seek out God in the quiet, sometimes elevated, but often the, the least touched by human hands, parts of this world. 
We're part of a long, long story of people not knowing and yet still searching for God and sometimes in the mountains. But before you guys start checking Zillow for mountain homes in the West, let me go for a second. Because there's another location, another, another place uh, across time and space and again across religious traditions where people have constantly bumped into God, have experienced that, that life-giving energy from the Spirit. And it's here, right? Like kind of here. And by here, I mean it's anywhere that a community gathers to seek after God. You see, for me, at least, being in the mountains reminds me that the goal of gathering in this space, the goal of, of keeping a church alive and well is to have somewhere to explore the life of the Spirit and to experience God together. When we choose to show up here, when we set other things aside and prioritize this time and space together, things happen. God shows up. If there's a biblical precedent for, for God showing up in the mountains, and there is an equal precedent for God showing up when, when people gather in God's name. And so I can't help but wonder, what would it look like if we approached church the same way we approach the mountains? What would it look like if we arrived here with the same sense of, of wonder and, and playfulness and, and excitement? What, if it, what would it look like if we showed up Sunday mornings with the hopeful expectation that we might actually bump into God? Or like a kid choosing adventure instead of the same old trail? <laughs> What would it look like for us to step outside our comfort zones, to take the trail less traveled, to expand beyond what we thought were our limits? So nine miles and 2,400 feet of elevation gain later, with a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and an eight-year-old in tow, we were back at Lake Louise. After catching our bad breath, we stepped back and just kind of looked up at the mountains that we had come from, pointing out where the lakes were, and I asked Caroline how she felt after nine hours of hiking. And she said, exhausted, but proud. And you could tell she meant it. Friends, this place, this church, can be your mountain. This church can be our mountain. This place can be a quiet stream that, that occasionally fills our soul. This place can be a set of dicey switchbacks that, that force us out of our comfort zone. This place can be a valley of wildflowers that remind us of the goodness of God and the, the diversity of God's design. Sometimes the most fun, this place can be a base camp where we get to huddle together and tell stories of the journey. 
And if you do it right, if you truly make this place your mountain, you'll probably leave feeling exhausted. (laughs) Exhausted by the journey, but proud. Proud of what you were able to give back. Proud of what you were able to accomplish. Proud of what we were able to accomplish together. I'll leave you with some words from the prophet Micah, who paints a picture of of days to come. He says, in the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of the mountains. It will be lifted above the hills. All people will stream to it. Many nations will say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God, so that he may teach us his ways and we may walk in God's paths. Friends, might this place, this very place here and among us be our mountain, be the mountain of the Lord that that people stream to. Might this place be where we come to meet with God? Might this place be where we explore the spirit? Might it be a place where we find rest and renewal, where we expand and where we grow? Friends, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and may we come back exhausted and proud. Amen.